Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hey, and we're finally doing this. I'm super excited to embark on this journey with all of you. And I thought it would make sense for me to start by sharing my personal story. Um, so I'll start by saying this. I am a huge believer that one of the things about being human is that none of us escape struggles, challenges, you know, hardships, obstacles in life. That, that is a guarantee. However, I think one of the incredible things about human beings is our ability to thrive, uh, surmount, you know, the greatest of odds, and also to not only learn from our own experiences, but to learn from the experiences of others. And I think that's actually something that makes us really unique as a species you know i don't think there are really other creatures that learn from other people's lessons and other people's or other beings even lessons and hardships and experiences um positive too so i think that is something that human beings have that's really unique and it's something that we should absolutely take advantage of and it's part of why I feel it's really important for me to share my story because um, I hope that it will inspire people. I'm hoping that maybe people can learn from me um, because while none of us get out of here without you know, suffering and struggling um, and hardship, my story is definitely uh, somewhat unique in that a lot of my struggles started from birth. Um, you know, I was faced with tremendous amount of physical challenges from a really early age. So I will start also by saying that we are all one in a trillion chance of being born. So we are all miracles. We all have tremendous capacity, unique gifts, you know, so for, and this is a particularly tough time, I think, you know, it's an unprecedented time, a time of a lot of uncertainty. And so, you know, during those times, people question a lot. And I think that the thing that really helps people is to have a sense of gratitude and to be really grateful and acknowledge how unique we are and how unique each and every person is. Everybody has, for all the struggles they have, for everything they may be dealing with, there's also unique gifts and something special that you have to offer. So I will start by sharing my story. <laughs> um, so I was born with something called congenital rubella. 
what that means is that my mom had German measles during the first trimester of pregnancy. And that whole story is a little bit crazy. Um, my, neither of my parents were vaccinated. Uh, my father wasn't vaccinated. And he actually contracted the German measles and gave it to my mom. He caught it from his doctor, from my mom's doctor, sorry, the OBGYN, who he was friends with. They used to play tennis together and socialize, and the doctor's wife had been traveling and contracted with German measles and gave it to my father. My father was really sick. He had a fever, delirious, fever of over 104 for, I think, well over a week. And my mom, had really mild symptoms. She had like a rash on her upper chest and she was pretty convinced though that even though her, her symptoms were very mild that she had contracted German measles from my father. They can't test whether or not you have it but they can test the titer to see if the baby has it, has been affected. They tested the titer, they tested it as being 112 but it was really 121. The doctor was dyslexic. I, for one, am very grateful for this because had he read the titer correctly, I would have been aborted. That would have been the advice my mother would have received because most rebellious babies do not survive very long. And if they do, their quality of life is very dismal. Um, there's really no way to know, you know, there's a wide range of what the symptoms and uh, the quality of life might be. And so typically, at least at that time, that is what they would have offered. So I'm very grateful that he made a mistake <laughs> and I'm here to share this with all of you. Um, and uh, so I'll tell you a little bit about some of the challenges that I faced. Um, I was born on a Super Bowl Sunday in the middle of a blizzard and I was not arriving conveniently. I don't know that I've learned my lesson. I'm still battle tardiness on occasion um, but, uh, so my they tried to induce labor so that my dad could watch the game with his friend the doctor and when they shot the epidural my I had already started to crown and so my mom was tied up with spinal headache for the first two weeks of my life she couldn't hold me she couldn't lift her head um, but when she did she noticed that one eye was rolling up on the top of my head and she was very concerned asked them to do all the tests, but the hospital knew that the doctor had made a mistake. And so they were covering for him and they kept saying the tests were normal when they, in fact, that was not true. And they were indeed covering for him. They kept telling my mom that, you know, baby's eyes don't focus because she was asking, why is one eye rolling up in the top of her head? And they said, you know, it's normal, baby's eyes don't focus. And she said, but wait, one eye is focusing, so why? you know, why isn't the other? And she realized that my maternal grandfather, her father, had cataracts at the time. And she said that my left eye looked a lot like his. She finally found a doctor who confirmed that I was born with a cataract in my left eye and they had to remove the cataract. Cataracts removal back then was very different than it is today. Today, you know, it's a routine procedure. It is minimally invasive. That was not the case back then. And so they pulled the iris, they left debris, and they had to go back in and do what's called a retinal cleanup. So when they did that a few months later, I was only three months old when they did that first cataract procedure. 
they found rebellion pigmentation behind my side and eye, and they confirmed that I was indeed born with congenital rubella. At the time, they weren't sure what other symptoms or the severity of the condition would be, but they were pretty sure that there would be other complications. And they pretty much told my mom the best she could hope for me. Um, they were not helpful. <laughs> they told her the best that they could hope was to find a nice institution to spend my life. Fortunately, my mom did not take that for an answer and she was very determined to keep searching for help and hope. And uh, so we kept going around to all the doctors trying to figure out what was going on. And some of the other symptoms that we realized were that I'm significantly hearing impaired. I actually learned how to speak by reading lips. We didn't know the severity of my hearing loss at the time. I didn't get hearing aids, so I was almost six years old. Um, but it is a very significant hearing loss. So without my hearing aids, I do not hear very much. Uh, you know, I can give you an example. I was in college and the fire alarm went off. And that's a really loud sound, right? And I had roommates and it, they woke me up to tell me, you know, fire alarm. And I could hear the slightest fainting, like they kept pointing, pointing to my hearing aid. And I was like, oh, is, are my hearing aids squeaking? Sometimes they feed back. And I was worried that I was waking everybody up. And they're like, no, no, put them in, put them in. And so I put them in and all of a sudden I hear the fire alarm, super loud, super loud. Um, so that gives you a sense of, you know, it's a pretty significant hearing loss. Um, the first time I got hearing aids, the first thing I actually heard when I stepped outside, I was like, mom, what is that noise? And my mom told me birds chirping. I had never heard it before. So that was pretty special. I still get very like misty-eyed when I think about that. I think that's so awesome. Uh, so I'm really grateful for modern technology, but I was born in a kind of in-between time, you know, there the rubella vaccine had been around for quite a while, so there were very few rubella babies left. Um, they didn't have many rubella clinics um, at the time. There was actually only one. I, I went to Roosevelt Institute in New York City. Um, but you know, it was really that in-between period where there wasn't much of the modern medicine, modern technology just yet, but also you know, people really weren't faced with, at least not in this country, uh, most people weren't faced with congenital rubella because we had the vaccine. So it was an interesting time. Um, some of the other challenges are my growth was stunted. I was born with asymmetrical bone development, fine graphic motor impairment, um, missing 10 teeth, and hypotonic limbs. And this is a story I love to tell because a lot of times they put children who are born with hypotonia into a full body brace and then their muscles atrophy. Fortunately, uh, we had a we found a baby nurse who suggested putting me into a wet sandbox. She had this theory that the wet sandbox would be resistance because you have to fight against the sand, and it, that they would put toys that were just like slightly outside of my reach, and that I would have to reach for them. And she could see I was a very determined personality, and that I would reach for the toys. <laughs> And uh, she said, kids love sand anyway, so you know, it might be fun for her. So that was the hope. And the hope was that it would create enough neuromuscular stimulus and then the resistance would eventually lead to hypertrophy. And fortunately that did work. And 
without going into my whole life story because that will take kind of a while. I'll tell you that some of the things, you know, that I'm super grateful for is that we did a lot of um, exercises and, you know, a lot of them were very movement oriented. Uh, some of them were more intellectual, visual stimulation, and they were integral to my healing and to my development. Um, and so was the support and the hope of my family, you know, the doctors that were supportive and, uh, you know, the technology like hearing aids and contacts. I wore a patch over my sighted eye every other day of my childhood. Uh, one of the things that we did actually, uh, my mom came up with this idea and my grandfather built it with a balance beam and they would make it narrower each week that I had completed it successfully. So they would build the beam. I had to walk on it every day, whether or not I had the patch over my eye or I didn't, and I didn't have hearing aids yet. So essentially I walked on this beam. Every other day I was blind and deaf walking on this beam virtually. And when I completed it, then my reward was that the beam got ch more challenging. <laughs> um, but it was a really, really useful tool in helping me to build proprioception. Um, I don't get motion parallax. I can account for, um, you know, like lack of depth perception intellectually. Uh, basically, I measure my straight on vision against my periphery. My periphery is about 60% of what people who have two eyes would be, but I do have some peripheral vision. And so I measure my direct vision against the peripheral vision and then I get a sense of what depth perception would be. Obviously, I'm not doing like a formal calculation in my head all the time, but it is a subconscious calculation. I mean, I can't account for that. What I can account for is motion parallax. And that is, to give you an example of like, if somebody's playing catch, you know, to determine where that ball would land or where, where to hold your hand, you know, or glove or like a lacrosse ball, I played lacrosse, um, to know where to hold it. Um, that is something I cannot account for, or even when you're jumping, knowing where you're going to land. Um, but developing my kinosphere, developing my proprioception, it has been largely instrumental and really helpful in helping me to compensate for these things and also helping me to build my vestibular sense, which is challenged because of my hearing. Um, and of course, you know, the hypotonia. So the more you can develop your kinosphere, the more you can compensate and adapt. And so movement has been a huge part of my development, my healing process, because, you know, I think the mind and body are so integrated. Um, you know, there's certainly so many studies have been done. Like one of the biggest uh, tools we have for preventing cognitive decline is actually movement. Um, and I call it movement, not like exercise training, because really it is about movement. Um, so it doesn't have to be formal training in a gym. It has to be ways that you challenge yourself and that mind and body is integrated and involved in that process. So I won't go on for too much longer. I will be continuing to share more and more of my story, but I wanted to give you kind of a sense of some of the physical challenges that I've faced and uh, had to overcome and that I still deal with today. And my hope is really in sharing all of this with you is to 
show the testament of the human spirit, to show that whatever challenges you're facing, you know, you're not alone. We all have challenges. You never know what someone is dealing with. Um, but we are also all incredibly gifted, capable, and have the capacity to overcome tremendous odds. And I am hoping to explore, um, you know, other people's stories of overcoming um, and finding their voice. So through this journey and in talking to other people, I'm going to explore lots of, you know, obviously uh, mental, physical healing, development, and improvement. Um, that is one of my huge passion, but also, you know, personal development, psychological, philosophical, um, you know, and cultural lifestyle um, from many different angles, because I think that, you know, we're here to explore, to uh, learn, to grow, and to evolve both individually and as a species. And if I can help contribute towards that in any way, then I feel I have served. So I hope you enjoyed this. I hope that it was useful to you in some way. And I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear if you have any questions, if there are things you'd like me to talk about um, on future uh, episodes, then yeah, definitely reach out and connect with me. I look forward to hearing from all of you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.